Today, Pastor David concludes our series called Authentic Christianity, where we will see that a life surrendered to Christ is a life that's willing to make a sacrifice. So take a moment now, prepare your heart for today's service. Um, I'm going to read the scripture, Luke 9, 22 through 26. The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Let us pray. Father God, this morning and every day, let us surrender to you, Father God. For you are good, you are holy, you are righteous. Father God, we come to you this morning and we just ask that you would meet us where we are. Help us to open up our hearts to the word that you have for us this morning. And be with Pastor Javen as he delivers it, Father God. Lord, thank you for anointing him and speaking into him so that he can speak into us, Father God. Lord, we just love you and we just praise you for who you are and all you do for us, Lord. In Jesus' name. But like I said, we are concluding uh, our series today, Authentic Christianity. We've been looking at this, this idea, this fact, really, that for us to say that we believe in Christ as our Savior, then that should lead us to follow Christ as our Lord. Believing in Christ for our salvation, believing what he did on the cross, that's imperative. But when we do that, when we believe in him, there should be a following of what he's done for us, a following of the calling that he has given. So we've been looking at that. What does that mean? What does it look like to follow Christ? We said the very first thing we said that if we're going to follow Christ, that means we need to seek Christ first above all else, that Jesus needs to be first in our life. We, we said that our mentality when we wake up every morning, our, our, our mentality when we live every day has to be, but first Jesus, he's got to be first in everything. We said, if we're going to follow Christ. We've got to have the mentality that we are people who serve. We are people who serve Christ. We are people who serve each other. Jesus himself said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve, right? So we are a people who are called to carry with us a heart of service. And that's what we do. We said that if if we're going to follow Christ, that means that we submit, we submit to God. We submit one to another. We put ourselves lower than the people around us, right? We, we humble ourselves. We, we be, we, we be, we are transparent with one another. We belong to one another. We, we, uh, we are, uh, we care for one another. We're allow, we, we allow ourselves to be cared for by one another. We submit to one another. That's what it looks like. Ultimately today, as we wrap this series up, I want us to see that this call to follow Christ, to, to put him, to seek him first, to serve him, to serve others, to submit to him, to submit to others. That call to follow Christ is ultimately a call to surrender. It is a call to sacrifice. You probably gathered from the passage that Jenny read for us this morning. This is a pretty tough word. All right. But you know, sometimes tough words, they're, they're worth it. Okay. They're worth it. It's kind of like when you look at food, dessert is really good. We, I love dessert. Dessert is good. Not a lot of work goes into eating dessert. I can eat dessert easily, but there's some other foods that are really good. Right. And sometimes they take work. I like crab legs. 
So not everybody likes crab legs. And most people will tell me I don't want to eat crab legs because I don't want the work that goes into having to eat crab legs. I don't mind the work. I'll do the work. I'll, I'll break them. I'll pull them out. I'll eat crab legs because I love crab. So sometimes it's worth it to, to put in a little work to get that, to get to that food. In fact, for some food to obtain some food, it takes a lot of work for those for some food, like you, maybe you've heard the story of the chicken and the pig, right? Breakfast, right? The chicken made a contribution. The pig gave everything. Okay. Right. Right. You have that bacon and sausage. You probably got some pig there. Right. My, my son, I've gone to him a couple of times in, uh, when he's worked out after school and there's just been a few of them. I've gone with him and gone into the gym where they were working out and just hung out with him and one of the coaches there. And they've got a sign on the weight room in there. It says pig or chicken. And as soon as I saw that, I knew exactly what it meant. All right, you're either making a contribution or you're giving it all. You're giving everything. This is the call that Jesus has for us. He says he's not looking to follow him. It's not just a contribution. It's a commitment. It's a call to give everything of yourself. You know, we, we, uh, we, we make it, we all dedicate ourselves to Christ. We, some of us have rededicated ourselves to Christ, right? There's nothing wrong with dedicating yourself to Christ, but we dedicate ourselves to a lot of things. We dedicate ourselves to a lot of good things. We dedicate, if you're married, hopefully you've dedicated yourself to your spouse. We, you have children, you dedicate yourself to your children. You, you dedicate yourself to your family. You'll dedicate yourself to your friends. You'll dedicate yourself to your job. You'll dedicate yourself to the church. You'll dedicate yourself to your community. You'll dedicate your yourself to a sports team. And some of you are getting tired listening to me talk about all the things that we dedicate yourself to, right? That's the point. We can get so stretched thin by all the things we dedicate ourselves to. And that's why Jesus didn't call us just to dedicate ourselves to him. He called us to deny ourselves, to give up ourselves. It's that, that extra step. Following Christ is a total, complete commitment to Christ. And so he says, if anyone wants to follow me, if anyone wants to be my disciple, the very first thing he says, you've got to give up yourself, give up your way. You've got to deny yourself. Now, the, the New Testament is written primarily in the Greek language. We've talked about that before. Greek scholars tell us that there's three different imperatives uh, or three different uh, 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 yeah, imperatives that the Greek language can be written in. It's present, aorist, or perfect. And they all have different ways. When they're written in different ways, they kind of say a different thing. When Luke wrote this, wrote the words of Jesus saying that we are to deny ourselves. He wrote this in the aorist imperative, which meant that this was a direct command to do right now. To do immediately. To don't delay. Do it now. This is a command. You've got to do this. But there's a benefit to it. Paul, when he wrote his letter to Titus, in Titus chapter 2, we see this, verses 11 through 13. He said this to Titus, he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. That salvation came through Jesus Christ. Verse 12, he said, Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and live sensibly. The words of Jesus, deny yourself. Deny those worldly desires that are in you. Those ungodly desires. And live righteously and godly in the present age. And then he says this, Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That word is the same word where Jesus said, deny yourself. The same deny that Paul used there. Deny the ungodliness, the worldliness in our life. Denying ourselves. And that word, when Paul writes this, scholars tell us it's written in the middle voice, which means this. That means that for the subject, the subject benefits from the action that the verb takes. So the verb is deny. 
We are the subject. When we deny, we benefit from taking that action of denying. The benefit, relationship with the Heavenly Father. Everlasting life, eternal life with the Heavenly Father. That is the benefit. Life and life abundant now. That is the benefit. But again, the world's motto is look out for number one. Take care of number one. Take care and look out for yourself. Jesus' motto is deny yourself. Deny who you think is number one. Yourself. It's a paradox. Many of Jesus' teachings were paradox. It's you lose to gain. That's not how we typically think in this life. But that's why Paul, when he wrote his letter to the church of Philippi in Philippians chapter three, mind you, sitting in a prison cell, he writes these letters and he sends these words back to them. And in chapter three, he's talking about, he says, I gave up everything as far as being a Jew, as far as being a Hebrew. I was Hebrew of Hebrews. I had everything. I had the notoriety. I could have had the wealth. I could have been the rabbi of rabbis. I could have been it all, but I gave all that up. And even now while I sit in this prison, he says, I consider everything I gave up a complete big uh, pile of rubbish compared to what I've gained in Jesus Christ. Losing is gaining. It's a paradox. I want us to jump forward. I want us to see today. See this, this, what Jesus said in Luke chapter nine, this is a pretty bizarre altar call. Typically, if you've ever been in church, you've been in church services and a pastor or speaker gives a a call to follow Christ. It's, it's cushioned, right? It's talking about how great it can be for you and for your life. And it is. But Jesus, when he gave his altar call, he gave it in a pretty strong way. He was letting them know what you are giving up to follow him. And this wasn't the only time in Luke chapter 9 that he did it. He did it in several other places. And I want to show us a few of those today. Luke chapter 14, uh, verse 25 Again, this is just a little bit later than when Jesus is done and said what he said in Luke chapter 9. Verse 25, a large crowd is following Jesus. And he turned around to this large crowd who's following him. He said, look, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Now, this sounds strong. We're going to talk. I'm going to explain it. But listen to what he's saying. You've got to hate everybody else by comparison. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. If you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. He keeps on. He says, but don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. That's where Billy Madison got his line. They're all going to laugh at you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. They would say, there's the, we need humor to take some of this down. There's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him. And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. 
See, when we become a, a Christian, when we look at following Christ, a lot of times we look at it and we say, I'm just going to say a prayer. I say a prayer, I become a Christian. I thank God for what he did. thank Jesus for what he did on the cross. And right, I, I become that Christian. We might think of there's some morality things that change. There's some religious practices we start doing. We start going to church. There's some things we start implementing in our life. But Jesus was very strongly saying, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to receive what I'm going to do for you and follow me, it is a complete commitment and every other love that you have in your life compared to the love that you give me, that love looks like hate. And that sounds strong, doesn't it? But remember it's first Jesus, but first Jesus, that means he has first place. That means he has first priority. That means he has first position in our life over anything else. That means the pursuit of our relationship with Jesus has to take priority over every other relationship, over every other pursuit in our life. Now let's do a little word study. Go to Romans chapter nine, verse 13. Paul is quoting the words of Malachi here. And he says this in the words of the scriptures, it says this, I loved Jacob, but I rejected Esau. All right. Now, The word rejected right there. The reason I've got that word highlighted is because that word is the same word that Jesus used when he said, if you're going to follow me, then by comparison, it looks like you hate everyone else. It's the same word he uses, hate there. That's why some translations, if you have a translation, you're reading it and you're looking at it, it says, but I hated Esau because it's the same word. But if you think back to the story of Jacob and of Esau, Right, You think back to that situation. If you were here when we did our Genesis series, if, if you've read the book of Genesis, if you don't know, here's what happened. Jacob and Esau, twin brothers. Esau's the oldest, Jacob's the younger. Esau should get the birthright. Esau, Esau should get the blessing. But God chose to make Jacob the one that was going to have first position in that family to where the blessing was going to be passed down to. God chose to let the line and the nation that comes from Jacob be the one that's blessed and become the children of God. It didn't mean that he didn't love Esau. It didn't mean that he didn't bless Esau. Esau was still blessed. Esau still had things. Esau still did things. The choices that Esau made affected his life, but Esau was still blessed by God, was still loved by God. But Jacob was chosen. He was of first position in that situation. So what this means is you have relationships in your life. You have purposes in your life. You have things in your life and God can allow you to love them. God loves those things for you in your life. God wants to bless those things for you in your life, but those things can never take priority over your relationship with him. By comparison, they can't touch your relationship with him. It's not a contrast to the word of God where we see in scripture, honor your father and mother. It's not a contrast where we see all throughout the gospels and all throughout the New Testament where it speaks of loving your family, loving your parents, of, of loving your children, of loving your spouse, of loving each other. It's not a contradiction to that. In fact, Jesus, when he was, Matthew and Mark tells us of a time when Jesus confronted the Pharisees. And he talked to them about these Corbin vows that they had. Corbin vows were these man-made traditions that allowed them to avoid God directives in their life. And so what was taking place was he confronted them and he said, look, you know the script, you know what God told Moses and what God told y'all by default. He said to honor your father and mother. He said, but you guys are taking these vows. You've created these vows that are allowing yourselves to put offerings into the temple in order to neglect taking care of your parents. And so what he was saying is he's saying, you're making it look like you're honoring God by giving this to the temple. When in reality, you're just looking out for yourself. 
He's saying, yes, you still love God. I mean, you still love your parents. You still honor your parents. That doesn't stop. You still love each other. But our love for him has to be pure. And it has to be above everything else. So there's no contradiction there. But see, what he's saying is your call to follow Christ is more important than your family, your friends, your loved ones' approval of you following Christ. You don't follow Christ to gain their approval. In fact, we don't, we don't experience it greatly in this culture, but there are times in our culture where when we make the choice to follow Christ and we, the things that Christ is calling us to and the way he's transforming our life, the way he's changing our life, some people have a hard time understanding why we're accepting that. Some people have a hard time understanding why we're making that change. Some people have understanding, uh, a hard time understanding why we're embracing that. And we might have some people cut us off in life and they don't want to have anything to do with us anymore. But for us and for our culture, we don't experience what some people experience in, in other cultures, in other places. For them to accept the call to follow Christ is a literal death sentence. For some in other cultures and in other places, it is literally saying, if I'm making a commitment to follow Christ and I make this a proclamation of my life, then there may be family members who are going to try to kill me. The government is going to try to kill me. For them to follow Christ means living this life out in in barracks and holes under the ground to share the gospel. If that was our culture, would we live with the same commitment? It's tough, but this is what Jesus Christ has called us to. It's a call to deny yourself. So we have to ask ourselves this question first and foremost. Is there anyone that we are choosing over Christ? Is there anyone's approval in our life that we are choosing to live for over Christ? Because no one, no relationship, no approval should be over Christ. So Jesus says, you've got to deny yourself. And then he takes it one step further and he says to follow me is, is going to cost something. Grace is free, but it's not cheap. He says, you're going to have to take up your cross. Believing in Christ crucified is important. Again, I said it earlier. It's important to our salvation. It, it, it is a must. We have to believe in Jesus Christ crucified to, to obtain salvation. But the calling is to be crucified with Christ. See, we look at the cross today as something ornate. We wear it around our neck. It's a, it's a symbol. It's a decorative thing in our house. We hang them on our wall. We put them on our mantle. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But that's how we see the cross. And oftentimes we see our call to take up the cross the same way that we see the cross today. It's just an ornament. It's just a symbol. We'll take it up when it feels good. But basically we want our faith just to be a symbol in our life. But Jesus is saying that's not what the cross is. To the listeners of Jesus Christ, the cross was not a religious symbol in any way, shape, or form. 
it was not seen as that. They did not have their, they did not have crosses hanging on their walls. They did not have them on their mantles. They did not wear them around their neck. The cross was an instrument of torture and execution. Again, nothing against when we wear that because it should be a reminder of what Jesus has done for us. It should be a reminder of what he's called us to. But for them in this day, that that had not started yet. And so for them, they would walk the streets of Jerusalem and they would see dead, dead and dying men hanging up and down the street on crosses. Historians estimate that there were over 30,000 Jews crucified in the time of Jesus. And that's the image that Jesus called to mind when he said, if you're going to follow me. Wow. I mean, think about that. You're in that day and you're following Christ. You're seeing all the miracles he's doing. And all of a sudden he says, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross. And you likely just walk by someone who was hanging on a cross. Good grief. In Jesus' day, a condemned criminal would take the crossbar on a cross and he would carry that cross. We know this is what Jesus did. He would carry that to his cross. But you realize to do that and to take that journey, it was a one-way journey. There was no turning back. Jesus is saying, deny yourself, take up your cross. We forget the shock of his words to the people of that day. The calling that he was calling them to. And he's saying, look, if you're going to commit to me, this is the commitment that you are committing to. And we've all, we've all heard of uh, dendrochronology, right? <clears throat> dendrochronology? No clue? No? Yeah, am I the only one? I just learned about it the other day, so don't worry. Dendrochronology, um, it's, uh, it's a study of trees. And basically what scientists do is they look at these trees and they can determine from trees... Everything that these trees have experienced, like what kind of weather patterns came through, any kind of uh, things that these trees have been through, they can discover all that just by looking. Maybe you remember early science classes, you said when you looked at the rings in a tree, you could determine how many years a tree lived, right? Well, scientists tell you they study that thing and they can determine whether or not these trees went through uh, uh, periods of... Uh, uh, wet weather, periods of dry weather. They can look at this. They can see if a a tree went through uh, a forest fire of some kind. They can look at this and they can see whether or not this tree was hit by a rock from uh, a lawnmower. They can look at this and they can see, they can see any kind of thing. I mean, they, they can tell all kinds of things just by studying the rings on these trees. But the thing is in our life, our scars tell a story. Our scars tell a story. Everything we've been through. And when we follow Christ, he didn't promise us that we weren't going to have scars. It's going to be tough. But those scars are going to tell a story of his goodness, of his grace, of his blessings, of his glory, of his peace, of his comfort, of his strength, of him working through us in those situations. The scars tell a story. The thing about following Christ, it's not a call to avoid a wounded life. Following Christ is a call to avoid a wasted life. There's a difference. And Jesus said, you've got to pick up your cross daily. Not occasionally, not when you feel like it, but daily. You've got to pick it up. Why? Because every morning we wake up, 
Our self wakes up and our self wants to take the lead. Our desires, our will wants to take the lead. That's why, but first Jesus. That's why we take up our cross daily. If you kept going in Luke chapter nine, that passage from where Jenny read, if you kept going in that, you see that Jesus is looking at the crowd around him and he's telling them, look, people want to follow me. But when they start following me, they find that I don't have a place to lay my head. In other words, what Jesus is saying is following him is not about a life of comfort. It's not always going to be comfortable. He goes on and he says that there was people that want to follow me, but they said, first, I need to go bury my father. Another one wanted to follow me. He said, first, I've got to go say farewell to my family. It's not that Jesus was saying that these things are not okay to do, that these things are bad to do. He was making, and he was using this as an example to say, there's some people that put limits on their obedience. And there's some people that delay their obedience. Well, I don't want to give up this yet until I follow Christ. I don't want to give up this yet in order to follow Christ. I'll follow him after I go through with this. I don't want to give this up to follow Christ. See, there's things that Jesus is going to to call us to stop doing when we follow him. There's things that Jesus is going to call us to start doing when we follow him. There should be no limit. There should be no delay to our obedience. I mean, you think about it this way. You think when I was dating Jenny and I asked her to marry me, right? I went to her and, 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 and I, I, I got down on my knee and I told her, baby, you are the most beautiful person in the world and you are the best person in this world that can take care of me for who I am and my, all of my stupidity. You're the only one that can do that. And I love you and I want to spend the rest of my life with you and I, I, want, to, I want to give you all of, everything about me. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And I've got her on hook, line, saying, right? She's ready to say yes. And she says yes. And then I say, but first, let's get married, okay? Let's get married and you go stay at home. But me, I still really enjoy playing the field. So you go home and you be at home. We're married. We're married. You're at home. But I'm still going to go enjoy playing the field every now and then until I get tired of playing the field. And then I'm going to come back and then I'll commit myself completely to the marriage. That makes absolutely no sense, does it? She would have walked away like that. But that's how we treat Christ. That's how we treat God. I want this blessing. I realize this is best for me. I realize this is best for my eternity. I realize this is what I need. And I want to be, I want your salvation. But I say, I'm going to take your salvation, but I'm going to go still keep playing the field how I want to play the field. And then when I get ready to give up all that, I'll come back and I'll live committed to you. That's not what Christ has called us to Maybe you remember one more story. Luke chapter 18 tells us the story of a rich young ruler. That's all we know him by. This man comes to Jesus. He has one simple question for him. He's basically, how can I get to heaven? How do I inherit eternal life? And he thinks the way to do there is by, to do it is by being good enough, right? That's what they all knew of this day. That's what I've got to be good enough. I've got to follow certain laws. And, but he had no idea of how not good he was. And the fact that no matter how good he tried to be in his own efforts, it can never earn God's grace. And so Jesus lets him know that if you're going to follow me, he gives him a, a, a situation. He says, if you want to come and follow me, here's what you have to do. He shows him the sacrifice it's going to take. Luke chapter 18, verse 22, we see he tells him this. He said, when Jesus heard his answer, he said, that's great. There's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions, give, them, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. The one thing this man had not done was follow Christ. In order to do that, it was going to take sacrifice. Jesus was telling him, 
The one thing you need to do is follow me. And in order to do that, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That's what he was telling him. And that's hard. That's difficult to do. But think about it. Is there something that you're afraid of turning control over to God? Is there something that you are reluctant to give him complete control over? And we can't miss from Mark's account where Mark says that when Jesus looked at him, Jesus loved him. We've got to understand that everything that Jesus does for us, he loves us. Every word that Jesus teaches us, every challenge that Jesus calls us to, it's because he loves us. He knows what's best for us and he expresses it to him. And all scripture says is that this man walked away sad. That's all we know. He walked away sad. Can we be honest for a second? We probably would have to. If Jesus looked at you and said, go sell everything you have, everything that you have taken your life to accumulate, everything that you have taken your life to build for yourself, and then he tells you, you got to sell it, give it away. Then you can come follow him. And you have no idea how you're going to be provided for. You have no idea how you're going to be supported. We probably would have walked away sad too. And we often look at this when we speak of this passage as if this man did not follow God. This man did not follow Christ after this day. And he may not have. But what if he did? Jesus didn't say it was impossible. He said it was hard for a rich man to get into the kingdom of God. But the more he talked to his disciples, he didn't love the disciples. And he said, but what's impossible for man is possible with God. He didn't say it was impossible. He said it was hard. And anything that you are rich in in this life that you feel like you've got to give up for God is going to be hard to do. Jim Elliott, he was a missionary to Ecuador and he became a martyr for Christ from the beaches of Ecuador. He took the calling of Christ and he made this statement and it became famous. He said, he is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's not foolish to do that. But we go back to this man and we wonder, did he follow? We, you know, we don't know. The text calls him a ruler. There was another account in John chapter three where we see a rich or we see a ruler that approached Jesus Christ to have a conversation with him in the middle of the night. This man's name was Nicodemus. He was a well-respected Jewish historian or he was a well-respected Jewish uh, teacher and rabbi. There was another man in this day who was a Jewish historian. He's respected by many. He did not follow Jesus as his Lord, but he's written a lot of history. His name is Josephus, and he writes in one of his writings about the richest young ruler in Jerusalem of that day. The man that he writes about was a man by the name of Nicodemus. He calls him the richest young ruler of that day. And most historians believe that Nicodemus was Josephus' brother. Nicodemus became a follower of Christ, along with his friend, Joseph of Arimathea, who together went to retrieve the body of Christ after his crucifixion to give him a proper burial in a tomb. Now, I'm not saying that Nicodemus was this rich young ruler that Jesus was talking about in this story. But Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea stood to lose a lot to be followers of Christ. After Jesus' death, John and Mark both tell us in their writings of how they went to retrieve the body. John is the one that tells us that Nicodemus was with Joseph of Arimathea. Mark tells us these words. It says, Joseph took a risk or he took 
courage to go to Pharaoh and retrieve his body? Why was it a risk for Joseph and Nicodemus? Why did it have to take courage for them to do this? Because of everything they stood to lose, all of their wealth, their notoriety, their prominence, their status, their name that they had built for themselves. They stood to lose all of that because all of those things defined who they were, but they took courage. Now they were willing to take that risk. Now they were willing to not to, to allow their courage to be greater than their fear. Why were they willing to do this? Because everything that Jesus had talked about, everything that Jesus had spoken of, it was now coming to pass. Jesus had taken up his cross and it was time for them to take up theirs. And we have to take up ours. The cross was Jesus' instrument of salvation. And so for us to take up a cross to follow Christ means that we accept that mission as our own. We take up a cross, we deny ourselves, and we give our life to serve Him. Peter wrote these words, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He said, The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but He wants everyone to repent. That's God's goal. He wants every person to come to a relationship with Him. He wants every person to take the step to say, I want to follow Christ. Paul wrote these words to the the Romans, Romans chapter 10. He said this, he said, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? How will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. You seeing your call? It goes back to the words of Jesus when he was with his disciples, Matthew chapter 9. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers, they're few. The people that are willing to commit, the people that are willing to deny themselves, take up their cross, follow me, they're few. So pray to the Lord who's in the charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into is filled. Following Christ means reassessing what God has blessed you with in light of his commission and what he's called you to. Why has God given you the resources that he's given you? Why has God blessed you with the relationships that he's blessed you with? Why has God blessed you with the gifting that he's placed on the inside of you? Why has God opened the doors for you that he has opened the doors for in your life? Harvesting always involves risk because harvesting involves sowing and sowing means letting go of something. It means releasing something. Who did Jesus say controls the harvest? God does. So that means we control what we sow. We control what we let go of. But here's the thing. Whatever is sown to God is never wasted. We're about to wrap up. I want to tell you some words of two missionaries real quick. John, or or two theologians, pastors, missionaries. John Stott said these words. He said, Christians get somewhat involved, enough to be respectable, but not enough to be uncomfortable. Their religion is a great soft cushion that protects them from the hard and pleasantness of life. 
but does not transform their lives in radical ways. And then watch what he says. No wonder cynics dismiss religion as escapism. And I hear this all the time. Oh, you're just using your religion to try to escape the problems of the world. I've spoken of a missionary by the name of C.T. Studd before. He was an incredible cricket player. We don't know anything about cricket because we're Americans. Maybe you do, but most of us don't. But he was, he was amazingly popular. I mean, his talent was, going, was taking him places. This would be, and he gave all of it up to go be a missionary in India and then China. This would be like LeBron James or Patrick Mahomes or uh, Travis Kelsey or Taylor Swift. All right, we can't, can't go without throwing those two together, right? It would be like them giving up everything they had to serve Christ in another landscape. And Stud said, the reason I did this, he penned these famous words. He said, only one life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And then he said these words. He said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. We're called to follow Christ. I close with these words. John chapter 6, this is another one of those awkward, bizarre altar calls. Jesus is talking to the people around him. He just fed the 5,000, the multitudes around the 5,000 with bread, a little bit of bread, a little bit of fish. Then he begins to teach to them and he begins to tell them these crazy words. He says, if anyone wants to follow me, he must be willing to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And people were, that's like, what? That's too much. And so people began to walk away. People began to leave. And what Jesus was doing is he was speaking to what he was about to do. He was speaking to what the Passover represented and how he was changing the whole aspect of the Passover. That when we take that bread, we were remembering this body that was given for us. When we take that cup, we were remembering the blood that was poured out for a new covenant to be established for us to have relationship with the Heavenly Father in eternity with Him. And He was saying, if you're going to follow me, you've got to take what I'm doing for you and you've got to live in that. But people walked away from it. People left it. And it's interesting to note that when these people were leaving, Jesus' response to these people was, who were leaving, you know what His response was? Nothing. He didn't say anything to him. John doesn't tell us he chased him down. John doesn't tell us he yelled out, where are you going? John doesn't, he doesn't say anything. But John does tell us that he looks at the people sitting around him, namely his disciples. And he looks at them and he says, are you going to leave too? Just like these people who had been fed in a miraculous way, we love what Jesus can do for us. We love what Jesus can provide for us. We love the blessings that Jesus can give us. We love the miracles that Jesus can perform in our life. We love the teachings of Jesus that make us feel good. But as soon as he requires something of us, as soon as he asks something of us, we slowly start walking away. But my prayer is that we would be like Peter. And the other disciples that when Jesus looked at them and asked them the question, are you going to leave too? Peter looked at him and said, Jesus, where else would we go? In other words, no matter what is happening in our life, it's still better than walking away from you. Nothing is greater than being in relationship with the Father. Nothing is greater 
than accepting what Jesus Christ has done for us in our life. So again, I ask you, whose approval are you seeking over Christ? What are you afraid to give up? What are you afraid to let go of? What are you afraid to lose by completely committing your life to Christ by doing exactly what Jesus taught us to do, to deny ourselves and to daily take up our cross and follow him. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccambin.com, go to our contact page. You'll find the link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.